Hey everybody, this is Atkins. And this is Adam. And we are bringing you another episode of Kaio Cinema, where we are sitting down together and watching every Dragon Ball franchise movie in release order, uh, starting obviously from the beginning, working our way towards what we hope will eventually be an end. Uh, and of course, our adventure is brought to you by and produced by the Back Patio Network. And if you are listening to this episode, it is the last one that will be open to the public. After this episode, we will be transitioning it behind the Patreon paywall. So if you've enjoyed the episodes and you like listening and watching the movies along with us, be sure to check out patreon.com slash network. And you know, we've been giving away this uh, popcorn maker, like Dragon Ball popcorn maker. At the end of the episode, I will have the winner's name and we will contact you, get all of your shipping information. And uh, we'll be sure to get it sent out to you. So fancy. We are covering tonight, today, this afternoon, this morning, whenever you're listening to this, the 1988 Dragon Ball movie, Dragon Ball colon, Mystical Adventure. This is the final Dragon Ball movie for quite a while. There is a fourth one called The Path to Power, but it came out much, much later. So our next movie, the one that will uh, see us make that transition behind the Patreon wall, will also be the first Dragon Ball Z movie, the first one that I had actually seen before sitting down to Kyo Cinema Homework. Which one is that, Atkins? That is Dead Zone. Dead Dragon, Zone. That's dra- actually... Excuse me. It's Dragon Ball Z, colon, Dead Zone. <laughs> that's the first one I remember watching. Like, that's the first one I saw as a kid, so... Me too. I'm I looking, think that I owned one. this one on VHS at some point, Dead Zone. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't have any of these on VHS. I, in fact, I didn't actually have a physical copy of Dragon Ball Z anything until around the time I graduated high school, I would say. I got my first DVD set. Man, I was a huge nerd that wore like Dragon Ball Z shirts to high school. Uh, nice. I think I, I mentioned this in our little pitch or promo for Kyo Cinema that I thought that the name of the show on the tin was like a ridiculous, silly thing. But then like a year or two after my friend David said that he liked this show called Dragon Ball Z, I caught it on Cartoon Network and have been hooked ever since. It's been a decades long love affair uh, with uh, Akira, Toriyama's, uh, Akira Toriyama's brainchild. Yeah, it's really cool. And, you know, in this movie, which is lovingly named Mystical Adventure, I don't think we've said this movie's name yet, uh, there is actually a guest appearance from one of his previous yes. shows, one of his previous, or not shows, but I guess uh, mangas. So uh, pretty cool that they incorporated that. Dr. Slump and Arale yeah. and whatever the little angel buggers are called. I don't know. I don't know anything about that to... franchise. I don't either. I've never heard, I like had not heard of Dr. Slump until I met this character. So maybe one I got to go check out. Well, let's jump right into Mystical Adventure. Uh, this is a relatively short movie, but I was pleasantly surprised by it, especially given the taste that the last movie left in my mouth. Mystical Adventure was a good chaser to a, prince, a sleeping princess in, in Devil's Castle. I hope you feel the same way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, Mystical Adventure picks back up in such a good way. I mean, I would hi- heavily rate this one. Heavily rate this one? Highly? I would highly rate this one. <laughs> I mean, the more balls you give it, maybe, the heavier the rating is. But Maybe, yeah. But no, I mean, I feel like, you know, the weird thing about Sleeping Princess and Devil's Castle is I kind of felt like some characterizations were off a little bit, especially with Balma. Uh, but in Mystical Adventure, everyone's back. They're in raw form. I mean, it's just exactly who you expect. The voice actors I expect are back. Everything about this movie just hits home, you know? Yeah, it... it- does the same thing that uh, the first movie did, Curse of the Blood Rubies, where it's kind of a retelling of a large chunk of the original anime. And there are pieces that are borrowed. 
Uh, and then there are pieces that are completely retooled. It, it does kind of squish together like a two or maybe even three arcs worth of materials um, and characters into this new package. But I think it does it in a much better, much more concise way than Curse of the Blood Rupees did, which felt Absolutely. like somebody was you were watching the first 12 episodes of Dragon Ball like at 10 times speed. That's what Curse of the Blood Rupees felt like. This, however, is paced better. It it actually has like it, it feels like you're watching a movie. Uh, and, yeah. and the other two, I did not have that sense. But this one feels like it's self-contained. They figured out the beating uh, or the pacing, rather. Uh, it feels like it has a first, second, third act. It's just tidy in a way that the other two weren't. Uh, so that, yeah, definitely, this is getting a much higher rating from me than either of the other two did. Yeah, I totally agree. And what's really cool is all of the characters that they use in this movie are, like you said, they're borrowed. They're not brand new. So we don't meet characters that don't matter. Like these actually are all characters from Dragon Ball. Now, that being said, if you know the original stories for those characters, there's this going to be the weirdness of like, how, why, why is this person doing that? That's not how they came around. But I really like how they handled everybody. And I love that they gave them each kind of a unique new story almost. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's jump right in with uh, where this movie starts. We get of uh, the traditional, I guess, what you would call it now, the the Dragon Ball lore narration from uh, Chris Sabat again, mm -hmm. uh, and we see Pilaf, Mai, and Shu, and they have just, I guess, they had been hired to construct a dragon radar uh, for Shin. Uh, and Shen is flanked by Tao Pai Pai uh, and Tien. And so they they set up first thing in the movie that this is this little cohort. And you get definitely some nasty vibes from from Shen and Tao Pai Pai and all this. And Tien is kind of guilty by association, even from uh, this first scene in the movie. Yeah. And it turns out that the Pilaf gang are basically trying to sell this dragon radar. And when they show it off, show that it works. You know, the master Shen is like, wow, this is really useful. We're going to be able to find all the Dragon Balls. and. Pilaf is like, well, okay, that's going to be three times the original asking price. And Shin basically tells Tao, like, hey, take care of this for me. So Tao says that he's going to only give them half of the original asking price, and that's it. And then it's kind of like this weird thing where he's like, you remember this? And it, we cut off screen, but... It's so I think weird. You're supposed to assume that he kills Pilaf and gang? I think that that's what's left on the table, and it's it's hard not to look at at Tao and understand that he just wants to kill things because on the literally on the back of his shirt, like I don't think it's in this scene. Uh, I think he's wearing the the more traditional like uh, Chaozu palace guard looking kind of uniforms. Uh, but going forward, when he's in his traditional kind of pink uh, gear, on the back it says "Kill you." Uh, I think it even has like two exclamation points. So, you know, he's real serious. Uh, on <laughs> he's the very, back. very serious. And then the uh, the kanji on the front of his shirt is also just the kanji for kill. <laughs> so he's nice. just like whether you're whether he's approaching you and you're looking at him uh, or you're trying to sneak up on him. You, you know that death is is uh, lying. Uh, it lays ahead for you. It's like a tattoo, 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 tattoo. <laughs> right. It's just on yeah. the tin or the iron in his case. Exactly. The voice actor that actually plays Pilaf in this movie is Mike McFarland. Uh, and this is the only time that he's ever voiced Pilaf. Every other time you hear Pilaf, it's Chuck Huber. So I thought that was kind of an interesting side note. Yeah, McFarland is one of the mainstays. I think I mentioned in the last episode of Kyo Cinema that he's uh, Roshi. Um, so, and he's only ever been like, he's, he's always been Roshi. He, 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 that is not somebody who has seen uh, a lot of turnover on the, on the voice actor front, which is nice. Like consistency is good. And we're, we're going to hear some 
of our less favored uh, voice actors in this particular version of the movie, this particular dub. Uh, but we also hear many that are familiar and beloved throughout this one as well. Absolutely. Well, we transition away from this scene right into the intro, and it's awesome because they basically replace a lot of the episodes where Krillin and Goku are training worth like delivering milk and like digging in the ground. And like, I think they're fighting off bees at some point. They replace all of these with just a quick intro. Like, it's a two minute, you get the intro music, it's awesome. And then that ends the training with Goku and Krillin trying to push this massive rock that Roshi's sitting on top of, and they're finally able to do it. He hops down and the movie just starts. And I really liked the way that they incorporated the intro into catching you up with all the training the kids have done since the last movie. Like, look, that was awesome. Kudos to them. Yeah, I agree. The The introduction and the credits themselves were very entertaining to watch. And they did kind of fast track you through a lot of that training stuff. Although it did like raise up an issue that I had with this movie until like two thirds of the way through it, which in this world, apparently every giant rock on the on the surface of the planet is just kind of resting atop the ground. It's not like yeah. <laughs> partially submerged because that's that's this rock that Roshi's sitting on. They're able to push, which means it's just on top of the ground. They aren't like creating a trench as they push this thing. Later on, Bora picks one up and throws it and it also has a flat bottom. It's not until Arale picks up a boulder later on in the movie that I'm like, hot dang, rocks do have bottoms that extend <laughs> under the surface of the earth and in, uh, in this planet because all the other ones are just flat sitting on top of the ground. It was silly. That is funny. Well, whenever they are done with their training, they uh, take off their turtle shells. Roshi tells them that they're finally allowed to and they jump really high in the air, and it, like it's really funny because Krillin is like, "Is this even possible?" And Goku says, "Well, I guess so. We're doing it." <laughs> yeah, the those turtle shells I think weigh fifty pounds, uh, and which you know, these kids are young; they're like, like 10, 10, 11. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a lot of weight. Because I was that's at first, heavy. I was like, you know, fifty pounds, whatever. I ruck with two times that easy, no problem. But I'm not ten. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I didn't, and I wasn't, uh, you know, I can take mine off when I want. And they were basically living in those turtle shells for a long time. Well, Master Roshi tells them like, hey, look, you're, you've trained enough now that you pretty much know all of my techniques. There's not a whole lot more I can train you on. How about we go and fight some martial artists? And, you know, at first Goku's a little reluctant. He doesn't want to because he doesn't know if they're bad people or not. But Krillin's like, come on, you dummy. They're just, it's for fun. Like we're fighting other really strong people just to do it. Uh, which I feel like is a very different kind of like through line that we get from Goku later on in the movies where he's just like, oh, you want to fight? Sure, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, he he's he's a very casual fighter. I, I liked too going back to the weighted clothing gag. Uh, you know, I, I think I had expressed early on that I've seen maybe 70 percent of Dragon Ball. I have not finished it all. Um, this movie is pushing the limits of what I'm familiar with from the original anime. And I only have come to that material relatively recently. So watching Z, you know, the, the whole weighted clothing gag, it was introduced to me in that particular movie or in the, yeah. you know, even in the first arc, the Saiyan arc, um, the Saiyan saga. Uh, but it's really cool to see that that has even deeper roots than I was aware of. And it continues on like some of there's great weighted clothing gags in Resurrection F, you know, when Piccolo tosses his little uh, cloak and, and little, you know, fez or whatever you want to call that thing over at enemies. And it just drags a bunch of them down. That, that <laughs> always works for me. Yeah, me too. I really dig that. And the fact that it does go all the way back to Roshi's training is pretty cool. Yeah. We catch up with Emperor Chaozu, which is a deviation from the actual, uh, anime. And, and in the manga, he's just a, 
another student training under Master Shen uh, alongside Tien, his bestie. Uh, but in this particular movie, for some reason, they made him an emperor. Uh, and the rumor is that his wife has disappeared, which was like, okay, whatever, he's married, but he's an infant. Um, but that gets resolved a little bit later on. Uh, we see a familiar face in Lieutenant Blue, who is an anime stalwart who uh, prime back in the anime. A lot of these characters that we're going to be talking about actually ran around with the Red Ribbon Army. Lieutenant mm -hmm. Blue was one of those. Uh, he was a big part of the uh, Red Ribbon saga. He was uh, pretty evenly matched with Goku, has some telekinetic abilities, is a very he's a pretty boy, uh, gets upset when Krillin kicks him in the face because it's his face, not because you know, a blow was landed, but because he would, he might be less pretty now. <laughs> uh, and it was one of the few characters where like Bulma was enamored with, because again, he's a pretty boy and he had, he wanted nothing to do with her, which was yeah. hilarious. Yeah. And most of the characters we're going to encounter in this movie are going to cover from basically like the red ribbon saga to kind of the tournament saga or the end of the first tournament saga. Uh, so we do get a lot more Red Ribbon uh, folks that show up. It's funny because Lieutenant Blue pulls over this truck that's being driven by like a werewolf of some kind or a cat person. I don't really know. It was just an animal person. And the animal person's like all pissed off. Like, hey, come on. You can't just stop my truck. You can't just stop my delivery. Of course, they're searching for the emperor's wife and they tear apart this cr truck. There's nothing inside of it. And he actually ends up like using his powers on this creature that is attacking him. Uh, it sends him flying. And uh, we transition away. We see Master Shin, who is reporting to Emperor Chaozu, like, hey, you know, we can't find your wife. At this point, it's really likely that she's actually already out of the kingdom. Um, and he's saying, you know, one thing we can do, if you're really interested, is use your military and use your guards to go out and find all the Dragon Balls and wish her back. And, of course, Emperor Chaozu is like, yeah, you know, that sounds fine. Let's do that. Uh, so we find out that, you know, with... <laughs> Shin being the way that he is, uh, he is likely going to use these Dragon Balls against Chaozu. And Lieutenant Blue knows that. Lieutenant Blue shows up and is like, look, you can't, you can't let him do this. Emperor Chaozu, what are you thinking? Shin could use those against you. Of course, Shin just calls him a liar and is like, no way. Why would I do that? Yeah, Blue doesn't last very long in this movie, which was shocking to me because he's such a big part of the anime and was a very... A formidable opponent for Goku and Krillin. Uh, but in this movie, he is at least taken out in the exact same way as he was in yeah. the anime. Um, so uh, Tao Pai Pai slides up behind him, basically like sneaks in. In the English, he says, hey, Blue, guess who? Uh, and uh, Okos him, just one hits him in the temple with his tongue. Uh, it's it's a much bigger production in the anime, uh, but here it's it's the same. It's it's as ridiculous as it sounds, really, um, <laughs> that he just sticks his tongue out and jabs this man. Uh, but Blue tries his technique, which basically like freezes his opponents um, so that they can't move for whatever reason. It's never really explained in either medium. Uh, Tao Pai Pai seems to be immune to it. Uh, and so he is still able to keep his mobility. Uh, Blue tries to cut him with a sword. It fails miserably. And so uh, Blue is on is in the movie for like three minutes, I want to say, like total from the first moment that you see him to the moment that he dies. <laughs> it's like two and a half, three minutes. He has all of like five lines. And what the, what's really funny is when Tal is walking away, he says he should have watched his tongue and mine. <laughs> uh, yeah. And he does this creepy lick on his lips afterwards, too. Like, uh, it's gross. Well, he like, probably tasted good. You know? Well, he was a pretty guy. I'm sure he, I'm sure, you know, he's got a skincare routine and maybe exactly. even some cologne. 
Who knows? Uh, we we catch <laughs> up with the crew uh, that I, t- I told you guys in the last movie was completely superfluous. They play a much bigger role, even though it's not big. It's still a much better role, a, m- a more meaningful part in this movie. Uh, so this is Bulma and Yamcha Puar, uh, and also Oolong are riding around. Uh, they're looking for a Dragon Ball. Uh, they also have Dragon Radar. I feel like in the movies, Dragon Radars are just a dime a dozen. Like anybody can have one. In the anime, I swore that it was just like just Bulma that could make them and had them. I think that Pilaf had one in the mo- uh, in the anime as well. The funny thing about the radars in this movie is the fact that like every time they're shown, even though they're supposed to be global radars, the the globe that they show, like the map, is totally different. And apparently it's kind of that way throughout the entire franchise. Like every time you see one that's supposed to be global, the maps never match. So none of these movies or anime, any of this, are on the same planet, I guess. Yeah, inconsistencies in animation like that aren't terribly, you know, like I've never seen an official map of this planet or really like, I mean, it's called Earth, but it's very different, obviously, from ours. So but when we see them, the same one twice in this movie and it's two totally different maps and they're supposed (laughs) to be global. So, you know, who knows? (laughs) Well, they they're hot on the trail of a Dragon Ball and so is somebody else. They get shot at. Bulma goes into ace pilot mode, shoots that one down. Three more show up. Somehow she tricks them into just diving face first into the water. She pulls up at the last second. But what kind of overzealous pilot do you have to be to to not know when you should pull up, even if your opponent isn't at that right at right at that moment? <laughs> See, this is more proof that like the Bulma in the last movie was totally not the same Bulma because one little like monster demon pops up and she gets scared and they crash. Whereas in this movie, she literally takes on another army. This is like the second time she's done this. Well, she does hightail it here in a second because they they take their plane and it, and it also is a submersible. They're right on top of the Dragon Ball, but so is one of Chaozu's subs. And initially she's like, oh, it's cool. It's, it's Emperor Chaozu. He's he's chill. But then it opens fire on them, sends a bunch of torpedoes their way. And so uh, they hightail it out of there. So she at least knows when or like which hills to potentially stand on and defend. That's she's true. not completely dumb, she, you know, I mean, she's ditzy, but she's not completely moronic in this movie. Right, right. Well, we transition over to Roshi and gang. So it's Roshi, Launch, Krillin and Goku who are all on a plane and Goku is looking out the window and he cannot believe that the bird can fly without flapping its wings. And Krillin's just like, come on, man, don't be lame. <laughs> As a female uh, flight attendant is walking past the row, Roshi like pats her on the bottom and. He gets a pie to the face like she's just carrying pie and slaps him in the face with one and then launch sneezes and wants to take over the whole plane. Like it's just this crazy amount of events that happen in like a literally a 30 second frame that was hilarious, I thought. I did love it, too. My first note for this scene was there's a quick scene of the dapper little turtle uh, turtle hermit boys because they're all in like suits and ties. Yeah. But then also turtle is there for some reason. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Turtle Turtle is there. Yeah. (laughs) It's just uh, along for the ride, I suppose. I also had the thought that uh, Launch would benefit from something like a KN95. You know, just like pick which mode she wants to be in, slap a mask on, stay that way forever. (laughs) It's always like just a hair that tickles her face. Like there are ways around that. Or, you know, canonically, I don't know that she has allergies. That would be miserable, like, you know, between the months of like March and in October, you know, well, she she's could just out, sneeze if she's out for on that, reason. If she's out on that island, surely she doesn't have to worry about that too much. 
Yeah, good, clean, salt air keeps the nasal yeah. cavities nice and tight. What's really crazy is I feel like they don't ever explain what happens to Launch. Like, canonically speaking, I feel like we transition out of Dragon Ball into Z, and she's just not there anymore. It's been a while since I watched it, but I I feel like that's what happens. She's around in Z a little bit. She's like, Is she? she yeah, she's buddied up with Tien. I think she even builds a statue of Tien somewhere. I don't remember that. It's wow. been a while since I've sat down to Z, but yeah, she's yeah. she's in it briefly. She she basically ends up like fawning all over Tien, even though Tien is just like, I'm gonna go train under a waterfall, leave me alone. <laughs> well, the the plane ends up transitioning into this city, and I, I don't know that we've mentioned the name of the Empire, but I believe it's the Mifon Empire. Yes. And it, they see the massive palace up on the hill and they're talking about how beautiful it is and it really is like the animation for this movie is really good and this particular city town whatever you want to call it it looks awesome i thought it was so cool uh this is where we are told that the tournament will be held at this palace and the winner gets whatever they want and initially goku's like well i don't really want anything and krill is just like dude get real like i i love how unbelievable Krillin finds Goku. Everything that comes out of his mouth, Krillin is just like, who are you? <laughs> I mean, Goku, they, I mean, Krillin doesn't know this right now, but Goku is literally alien. Yeah. You know, like he's, he is, he is an alien in the sense that he is not from Earth. Uh, but then he is also alien in the sense that he is very much not like many people on Earth, like uh, personality he... wise, motivation wise, all that stuff. Well, we, we get this moment here, too, where Roshi is telling them, like, you know, they don't need to be giving in to worldly pleasures. You know, don't it's not about winning. It's about the experience and coming here and training and, and learning. And he's saying all of this as he's like staring at some ladies uh, being Roshi, you know. Yeah. In the Japanese, it's it's just slightly different. He says, you know, you guys need to focus because you're going to be up against skilled fighters. And then he says, you need to be making close observations. And that's when his <laughs> sunglasses are just full of ass cheek um, as he's <laughs> staring down these young women. Not to uh, in 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 his favor or in his defense here, he does not actually touch these particular girls, which is a rarity for Roshi to show any kind of restraint. But it could not have been a lack of restraint so much as it was that they were quicker than he was because <laughs> they That's did not true. hang around for very long. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that we can give him too much favor at all. He's a pretty pervy old dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. It comes back up one at least one more time in this. At movie least one too. more time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If it was up to him, it would be that kind of anime. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. No kidding. We we catch up at Corin Tower at the at the foot of it live these two Native American characters, Bora and Upa. Bora is a towering Native American Indian uh, looking dude who's just all muscle um, from like the soles of his feet to his ears, just giant muscly man. And Upa is this tiny child um, that is his son. And they are the the protectors of a Dragon Ball, which doesn't make all of the sense. I'm going to talk about that shortly. Um, but yeah, that's what I they, agree. They're in possession of one of the Dragon Balls. It turns we find out later it's the Gohan. It's the four star ball. But what's crazy here is they don't, in the English at least, they don't know what it's capable of. Like Borda's, the, the, the Mifon Emperor palace guards or whatever are out there and they're excavating around Corn Tower because their radar says that there's a ball here. Uh, they're threatening all these other people that are down there working. And Bora and Upa are just watching this in possession of the ball that they know these men are there looking for. And they're just having this discussion like, well, we can't just hand this over to them because it must have some sort of power that we don't know about. And I'm like, how in the world do you not know what it is that you're protecting? Why, why would you risk your life for the thing if you don't believe 
that it's something greater than just a glass ball. <laughs> well, and even better, they couldn't have always had the Dragon Ball because yeah. it was used like six or seven months ago, which means they just recently got it, but they act as if they've been protecting it for like ages. Well, it's got to be, it's a year cooldown time, right? Between wishes. Well, it's supposed to be, but I don't know in the movies that they really even consider that. Not that, that we've gotten a strict timeline in the movie, so it easily could have been a year since it was used. But it's still one of those things where, like, okay, so one of two things happened. Either they stumbled across the Dragon Ball and just decided it was powerful, or they were all chilling in their village, and then this Dragon Ball just, like, explodes out of nowhere like a meteor, and they're like, oh, my God, we've got to worship this thing. It's important. Like, yeah. I don't see any other scenario in which they came across this Dragon Ball. You know what I mean? Unless one of them just goes back to the foot of Corrin's tower for some reason every time that it scatters, but that oh, doesn't make any not. sense to no, me either. It's supposed to be random. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it is very funny. Like, we need to rewrite Bora's uh, conversation with Hoopa where he's like, listen, this ball fell from the heavens just a few yeah. weeks ago, and I've decided that it's worth our lives, their lives, doesn't matter. Nobody's getting this ball but us. Super, super dark head cannon, real quick. We know that the four star Dragon Ball represents Gohan, you know, Grandpa Gohan, after Goku accidentally killed him, right? Mm -hmm. What if in this world the four star Dragon Ball was being returned after the wish and it just happened to like land right on Bora's wife's head and just crushed her? And so Gosh. he's got this four star ball, like in remembrance of his wife. You know, it never, there, it never comes up. She's not in the movie or even in the anime or mentioned, I don't think. But in my head, this is how it, it worked. And that's why it's the four star. <laughs> no, I don't. I feel like that would have come up when Goku gets the four star ball in their little hotel room. And he's like, oh, it's it's the ball my grandpa have. I feel like if if that was the story, Bora, the one that like, you're trying to pitch, that Bora would be like, no, that's the ball that killed my wife. There's nothing about it. has nothing to do with your grandfather. Well, he can't he can't say it in front of Upa. That's why. And then there's just never a good chance. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Anyway, them being the protector of a Dragon Ball does not make a lot of sense um but we they they are quickly found it doesn't take very long uh and some of the mifon empire folks run up on them uh, in a helicopter they demand that they turn over the ball or at least stay still i don't know that they know that they have the ball but they're like hey we're gonna come patch you down i think they just uh, say you're under arrest they're yeah like, you're that, hiding that you're under true. arrest and so bora picks up a giant boulder but it's flat bottomed because of course all rocks in this movie are until raleigh picks one up and he throws it at the helicopter and then they skedaddle out of there and we catch up with them a little shortly yeah we transition over to master shin who is showing off that they've already recovered six of the dragon balls and they've kind of got them in this little statue uh it's like holding the balls in its mouth which i thought was kind of funny um but they they are able to do something that causes it to swallow all of them so they're completely hidden however as all this is happening, Master Shin notices like a drone outside the window and someone's spying on him. And we get to see the other person on the side of that camera is Bulma. And uh, they try to shoot down this drone, but they completely miss. And she's able to figure out where they are, where they're stashing the Dragon Balls, and pretty much like the exact location of where everything is that she wants. Uh, and Oolong is kind of like sitting there getting on to her, talking about how he's not going to help with the, the the adventure. Like, I'm not going to go help you get these Dragon Balls this time. And she makes a uh, a bet with them. Or, and it's not a bet. She's just like, hey, if you come help me out, I'll let you use this drone so you can watch the volleyball girls. But this also gets Yamcha excited. And she's a little upset by that because, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm count me in. I'll do whatever it takes. And she's like, well, hold on. Or am I not your girlfriend? What's going on here? And he says, oh, well, I'm a fan of the sport, <laughs> which it got me cracking up. Yeah, it was it was 
a recovery, but it wasn't the most convincing one ever. I think he says something like, no, I, I really like watching them serve and spike. That's what I'm a fan of, not the girls. And I'm like, bro, come on. It's okay. Yeah. I think even Oolong is like, oh, yeah, he's an expert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, I've been negligent, too. Um, just to catch us up real quick on the characters that we've uh, that we've been introduced to, Kid Goku is still the Sealy uh, Delgadillo, uh, the, the, the voice that we don't like as, as young Goku is Kid Goku. Bulma is Tiffany Volmer, though. This is my Bulma, the one that mm -hmm. uh, is there through Z, but is replaced in Kai and Super uh, by Monica Rial, who I also really appreciate as... Uh, Bulma. Krillin is Laurie Steele, has been uh, in the last movie as well. You have um, in Blue, actually, is interestingly this guy named Sonny Strait, who is known most for being Krillin uh, in Z uh, as the older form of Krillin in pretty much everything. Um, but he's General Blue as well in Dragon Ball, alongside uh, Bardock, uh, Giru, and even uh, he's got some MHA credentials. Did you know this? No, I didn't. So Sonny Strait is your boy, Present Mike, and also Redestro. What? Uh, so Krillin is Present Mike, huh? That's interesting. Yeah. It is pretty well, dang interesting. original Krillin, blue in this, uh, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, Upa, Upa's voice actor is a lady named Karen Edwards, who plays Goten, Gotenks, and Videl in Z and I onwards. So. Yeah, and I thought so. Do you know who she is in My Hero Academia, though? Oh, no, I didn't know uh, that she was someone in My Hero. She is Bubble Girl in oh, My cool. Hero Academia. Okay. Yeah. And the guy who plays Bora is a big Dragon Ball Z actor as well, plays Paragus in everything that Paragus has ever been in. So OG and also uh, Dragon Ball Super Broly um, is the voice of Cell. Uh, and also Tambourine, which is another later Dragon Ball character. I think that catches us up so far. There are still a couple more characters that we haven't met that you will recognize as my hero characters. Oh, no, no, there's one more. Chuck Huber plays Shin, mm -hmm. and that's a name that we're familiar with for other reasons. Uh, he is a big name in Dragon Ball, plays Pilaf. Uh, oh, I think only in this... No, plays no he plays Pilaf. Pilaf everywhere else. Yeah, generally. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's also uh, Master Shin, Android 17, Garlic Jr. Um, but in my hero, he's Kurogiri. Oh, cool. Okay, I like that. So, okay, now we're all caught up. So now when we introduce other characters, I'll try to be more mindful of just slotting them in there instead of having a bunch of voice actor vomit. So we transition over to a dinner party where Goku is absolutely cramming his face and poor old Roshi, who is probably footing the bill, is like, hey, uh, don't you think you've had enough? Like, dinner should be over for you. And he goes, okay. And this waitress walks over and says, all right, well, does anyone want dessert? And he goes, yes, please, I'm done. And, of course, everyone does the anime thing and, like, slams their heads on the table. But The single-frame fall-down gag, I love it. It was a very telling moment for Goku, though. I think this is one of the first of many times we're going to see him just, like, eat the entire restaurant out from under himself. Yeah, there are, there are a shocking number of scenes, especially in Z, where Goku is just chowing down, man. And there are some really hilarious gifts as a uh, result of those scenes, too, on the Absolutely. internet. Absolutely. Well, we see Upa and Bora slowly, like, sneak in. And it's kind of weird. This restaurant's almost set up like what I imagine old country saloons are like. Like, it's got the two swinging doors, you know? And uh, so Upa and Bora, like, slide right in, and they, they're set down to eat. And it's but funny. But it's like a fine dining joint, too. It's right. strange. It is the strange. The aesthetics are, are awkward. 
but the the waiter is asking them what they want, and it's it's funny because uh, Bora mentions that uh, you know like hey just go ahead and we'll order and, and then we'll pay later. And Upa's like, well, we don't have any money to pay with, and Bora's like, oh, don't worry about that. And he hands the waiter some gold, like a nugget of gold, which I'm sure is way more than anything they could have ordered. And the waiter's like, hey, you you want it? We got it. Whatever you want, pal. <laughs> I think the first thing that that waiter says to them, though, like they pull up a chair and he walks up and he says. That we don't. I'm sorry, sirs. That we don't. We don't trade here. There, there's no trading here, and that felt like a racist line. Was that how it was? Like I didn't even catch on to that. Wow. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was like, yeah, we don't do any bartering or trading in here. And Boros doesn't take offense. He probably should have. Yeah, um, no joke. But he's just like, it's it's fine. We don't have money, but I have this, and he gives the gold thing. But I was like, whoa, that line feels racist a bit. Yeah, no joke. Because I, yeah, wow, huh. Well, we hear some sirens uh, outside of this restaurant, and immediately that kind of freaks out Bora because he knows that the guard is after him, but it also freaks out Launch. And Launch is like, oh, they can't be after me. I've never been here before. And I totally expected on the first rewatch of this, whenever the Royal Guard busts down the doors to this restaurant, I totally expected Launch to just pull out a bunch of machine guns and start mowing them down. Uh, But she does not. In fact, they, they walk in and they just start asking for Bora. They're like, hey, you know, we're looking for this incredibly tall guy. Yeah. Uh, he should be in here somewhere. And they point him out. They're like, oh, he's right there. And Bora's like, I thought you said you were looking for someone tall. As he's still sitting and hovering over everyone else in the freaking restaurant. Yeah, like- they walk in and they say, we're looking for a tall native, native man with a small boy. You seem to fit the bill. And in my notes, I just have... Yes, the guy wearing a pelt poncho and wielding a spear in this fine dining restaurant does right. indeed fit your bill about a tall native man. <laughs> it was so strange how they were just like, you might be them. It's like, yeah. yes, of course they are. Come on, man. <laughs> well, whenever they start to attack, Upa runs and hides under the table. A guard tries to actually attack, but he is stopped by Goku. Goku like pops up and is like, hey, come on, what's going on here? Like, don't, don't fight off this kid. We're trying to eat. And uh, when he blocks this blow, the guards are like, hey, what are you doing, punk? Of course, Goku gets pissed off. He's like, I'm not a punk, I'm Goku. And then out of nowhere, this massive giant comes in and we're introduced to Major Metallotron, uh, who I think is just a normal android in the uh, Red Ribbon series. So he's being like, I want to say he's like Android 2 or 3 or something. Am I right on that? I don't know. Yeah, he's called like just like general metallic or or maybe a different rank metallic i think in the in the uh subtitled stuff but in the dub it's metallotron it's a that there's that slight difference well he literally like breaks down the ish uh the entrance to this restaurant he's so big and he asks who's causing issues and everyone just points out our gang and he immediately goes on the offensive i mean he smashes the table he punches krillin into a wall he attempts to take out roshi but he's not able to uh, launch starts shooting at him, and then Goku comes out of nowhere and just knocks him over with a kick. And we think that the issue's been resolved or that the fight's been resolved, but it actually hasn't. He gets back up and tries to stomp Goku, and Goku is able to headbutt him and pops his head off. And then we see General Tao arrive for the first time, and, and this is when he gets involved in this scenario, and things just kind of continue to go sideways for our crew. Yeah, we've got a couple of more My Hero franchise folks on the scene right now so metallic slash metallotron is a guy named chris rager who in the dragon ball z continuity plays mr satan uh and also king yemma in my hero he's cementos <laughs> that's awesome i love that and mr. then satan is cementos 
General Tao is played by a guy named Kent Williams, who plays a bunch of Kais, like Kabito Kai, Supreme Kai, Old Kai. Also plays uh, Android 20 slash Jero. Uh, and in My Hero, he's Mr. Compress, who we've seen a good bit of in the last few episodes of My Hero. Absolutely. Yeah, we sure have. That's really and, uh, cool. This this whole scene is wild. Um, <laughs> because, so Tao catches Metallotron's head. Uh, he's got his cool pink shirt on now. He's not wearing the the, the garb of the the oppressors or the uh, the the empire anymore. He blocks Bora's way out, and Bora is invited to basically attack him. So he does. He tries to use his spear, and this is similar to the anime where uh, Tao just kind of grabs the the tip of Bora's spear and just holds it with just three fingers. And so now you've got this this weird flex right this weird showing of strength that actually makes no sense at all because earlier in this movie bora was strong enough to like lift a giant boulder and hurl it at a helicopter that was several feet away with ease and now he's not strong enough not to just retrieve the shaft i'm not saying that tau is somehow weaker than bora but what i am saying is that the these two people should have snapped the uh the shaft of that spear in this weird struggle and it's not so like the strength is there like it's it's put on display but you're also like but hold on a second if they're both really as strong as this is trying to make them seem like how is that spear holding up under all this because Bora's like rippled and uh veins pocking out everywhere and he's trying real hard and the spear is not breaking or bending at all it was just weird yeah, no, I agree. I kept waiting for it to break, and it never did. Like, it, it, they almost make it seem like there's a lot of tension on the spear, too. So for everything that we see in the way it's described, it absolutely should have broken. Uh, but Roshi actually interrupts before this goes too much further, and he says, hey, I didn't realize that the Emperor treated guests this way. And General Tal actually recognizes Master Roshi. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? And Roshi explains that Bora is here for the tournament. And because he's here for the Emperor's tournament, he really shouldn't be treated as a guest of the Emperor. You know, like he's he's being kind of just attacked, like in plain sight. And, and Roshi's like, I know the Emperor. That's not how, you know, he would want his guests to be treated. And, uh, you know, General Tal agrees. He's like, OK, I, I see what you're saying. You know, I'll, I'll we'll wait. We'll just wait till the tournament. I mean, it's pretty much a threat. And uh, so they're going to wait till the tournament's over and try and take on Bora, I suppose. But Bora's pretty much been, like, voluntold he's going to be in this tournament. I, I, Roshi realizes it was the only way he's going to save his life, though. Otherwise, Bora was dying right here, I think. Uh, so yeah, in, in the movie version that we're watching now, it is not his spear that he dies on. But in the anime, it is his spear that kills him. Mm-hmm. And this is actually when General Tal even mentions to himself, and I think to Shin, like, hey, Roshi's going to be a problem. And Shin tells Tao to just dispose of him too, like get rid of him along with everyone else that's involved in this. We'll just we just need to take care of it all and get the Dragon Balls. Yeah, we we catch up with our crew, the the Kame crew. They're being watched by Royal Guard as they're set up in their uh, hotel room. Roshi's shocked uh, by their treatment because again, there's this there's this experience of the Emperor of Chaozu that isn't matching up with what the the atmosphere is right now there's a there's a there's a break here uh and so bora's like well maybe they don't even know what's going on like chaotsu might not even know what's happening which just screams coup which is what is going on uh but they they come up with this plan to just go ahead and have one of the one of their group win the tournament because whoever wins not only gets whatever they want but they get uh an audience with chaotsu and so they can in make their inquiries there if that's what they'd like to do uh they of course, 
figure out that Upa and Bora have the four star and they entrust it to Goku. Uh, and that comes up a little bit later. Yeah, we transition over to see that Tien is like sleeping and he is awoken by the Emperor who is like screaming his head off down the, down the hallway. So Tien's running down the hallway. He runs in and along with a few of the Emperor's guards. And poor Chaozu's like holed up in a closet, like rummaging around trying to, I guess, protect himself. And it turns out that he's having this dream that someone's trying to kill him. And we get this real sensitive moment between this little kid and, and who he perceives to be his friend and Tien. And he's like, please always be here for me. Like, promise me you're not going to leave me. And uh, Tien says like, okay, emperor, you know, I promise I won't. And he says, don't call me emperor. You know, you've got this problem. You keep calling me emperor or, or there's something else he refers to him as. And he says, don't call me Chaozu. And so Tien does start calling him Chaozu. And, and we start to see this kind of like friendship begin to kindle really here. Yeah, Tien has a moment of panic when Chaozu says, something's wrong, something you're doing. Yeah. It's like, oh crap, I've been found out. Uh, <laughs> but it's just the name calling thing. Uh, Goku and Krillin in the next scene rock the iconic turtle geese for the first time. The, the Kame school geese, the orange ones traditionally with the little blue booties and whatnot. Uh, in the anime, this is also their first appearance when they roll up to this particular tournament. So we start to see uh, that aesthetic that carries on pretty much forever in Dragon Ball, like the color scheme, at least the kanji that uh, that tells you who uh, each individual's master was or who they had most recently been training under changes as the series progresses, even through Super. Um, but they look similar. It's just the little kanji swaps um, occasionally. So like Goku's next upgrade, he goes he goes from Kame on the back to King Kai's symbol on his back. Uh, is his next big upgrade, but that's a long time coming. But they 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 rock these geese on. Bulma rolls up. Uh, Goku asks what she's doing here. She kind of fills him in. She finds out that he has the ball. But Roshi, before even any of that takes place, wants to honk them honkers again, because uh, <laughs> that's just like he's been uh, Pavlov's dogged by Bulma. Just any time that he sees Bulma, he thinks that he gets to squeeze her boobs. Um, and she mallets him. Like that's not a euphemism. Like, like literally, she pulls out this. Yeah, she pulls out like this giant Roger Rabbit sledgehammer thing and mallets him on the top of the head. Uh, Chaozu gets paraded out. The contest rules are gone over. It's typical tournament fair. You know, you either are submitted or you're knocked out of the ring or you're knocked unconscious one. Uh, and it seems like it's fairly well organized up to this point because they say that the first match is going to take place between Yamcha and a guy named Gregor. Um, so that the two of those enter the ring. Gregor is this giant Andre the Giant looking dude. Uh, but the tournament kind of falls apart from here, really. Yeah, it's pretty crazy because, like, in the anime and the manga and pretty much any other example I've seen of the tournament, it's very much so a tournament where, like, you have 1v1, you progress in the ranks, and then eventually you have two that, you know, fight each other, there's one standing. However, in this version, like, Yamcha fights Gregor, and it's actually kind of funny because everyone around him is just like, oh, man. Poor freaking Yamcha, like, this guy's gonna just rock his world, and Tien and Chaozu are even having a telepathic conversation, talking about how unfair the fight looks, and then Yamcha does a wolf fang fist and totally knocks this guy out of the ring, but after he knocks him out... But, 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 he does wolf fang fists, but he kicks the man. He does, he it's kicks his... The, the kicks I the was man, like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. It makes the, no uh, sense. The Japanese name for this is actually something a little bit different. I've got it written down here. It's like the Roku Fugen or something like that. Yeah, the Rogu Fufukin is what go. it's named. Yeah. So, uh, which interestingly enough, apparently I was reading up on this and it only actually works once 
in the the manga itself. Like all of the other times we've seen that move work in a movie is because Toei Animation added that in. So in the manga, it only ever worked once against Goku at the, when they first met each other in the Diablo Desert, and it was only because Goku was hungry. So hey, you know, poor Yamcha. But he he never he doesn't get very many opportunities to shine that don't involve baseball. That's true. I don't know. There was that one uh, like special chapter of manga called like if I you know was reincarnated as Yamcha or whatever. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? That was a really yeah. fun one. He gets to shine in that for sure. But it's not really Yamcha, so I guess you know. No, it's not. <laughs> it's some dude who gets reincarnated as poor as Yamcha poor and just Yamcha. has has the the curse of knowledge, or or I guess in his case the the blessing of knowledge, and uh, manages to to do much better with Yamcha life than Yamcha was ever gonna. <laughs> yeah. um, Yamcha stays in the in the uh, ring anyway, and Bora Bora decides he's gonna go and fight, which I thought was strange, but I guess. Yamcha wasn't around for the little powwow in the hotel room because it feels like they could have just pulled him in and said, hey, if you win, can we can we, you know, have you asked the emperor this question? There would have been one fight and done. Right. But um, for some reason, Boris stands up and fights anyways. And what's weird is it's not tournament style anymore. It's like King of the Hill style because the referees just like, all right, anybody wants to fight, get on up here. Yeah. So he's holding up pretty well under uh, the Yamcha's barrage. We cut away Bulma has Puar and Oolong transform into Chaozu and Shin, respectively. The gag of uh, Oolong being bad at transformations continues because, remember, he didn't make it through school because he stole some panties. But uh, meanwhile, Roshi interrupts Yamcha's uh, battle by yelling that his fly is down, and Bora seizes the opportunity and knocks him out. But it it's weird because, like, number one, in the Japanese, instead of saying your fly is down, he says, how would you like a Pafu Pafu, which is the motorboat, basically, in Japanese. Um, and that catches Yamcha's attention. That I buy. But I'm pretty sure that in my headcanon, at least for as long as I can remember, the pants in Dragon Ball Z do not have any kind of fly. Exactly. They're just like... Uh, you know, secured around the waist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And I find the Japanese one almost be stranger, just because I can't imagine Yamcha wants a Pafu Pafu from Master Roshi. I mean, not from him, but, you know, just, just that term, I think, is enough to turn Yamcha's turn, yeah. head. Maybe. If somebody yelled, so. Mike, you want a motorboat at me in public, I would, of <laughs> course, turn my head in there. I don't care who said it. I'd be curious, at least. Well, and we do know he has a shyness of girls, so maybe it was supposed to be a shyness thing, but I don't know. He kind of seems over that now that he's been chilling with Bulma for a little while. Yeah, he's he's not completely over it, but he's he's in he's made some strides. He's made some strides. Bulma and company get intercepted on their way in and interrogated, but not like aggressively. These people are just trying to be nice and have a conversation, but Launch wants nothing to do with it. So yeah. they make up these stories about like how they're nuns and Launch is just like, and we're gonna take this as like a donation to uh to our um shoot, what do they what do you call the place the monastery? Not, monastery that's it uh and just strips jewelry off of them <laughs> this was a funny uh, scene probably one of the funnier scenes in the movie honestly yeah but tau in the meantime has jumped in uh since bora is now reigning champ uh, or at least is is positioned to be just that tau jumps in seizes this opportunity to deliver on his promise we find out that he's the six-time champion of this particular martial arts tournament which doesn't sound good for bora and it doesn't really end up good for bora if we're honest um, the fight doesn't last very long. Tao basically catches Bora's arm and tries to get him to uh, willingly tell him where that four star ball is. Bora doesn't lie. I mean, he says, I don't have it and my son doesn't have it, which is like, it's true. 
Um, but Tao still is having none of that. So he throws Bora up into the air uh, and he is impaled upon a giant stone pike of a nearby statue. And this pisses Goku right off. And it pretty much kills Bora immediately too. Like he falls to the ground. Goku grabs him though, right before the statue kind of like breaks, I think. And, and he gets really pissed. Like you said, jumps into action, starts to try to fight uh, General Tao, but Tao just takes him out. I mean, he doesn't even really stand much of a chance at this point. And uh, oh, this is when he actually kicks him into the statue and it, it crumbles. So that he he is what causes the the statue to crumble. Um, and the guard like come out of nowhere and start searching the crowd. Uh, and I I feel like this is when uh, Tao hits Goku with the first Dodon Ray, right? Yes. Uh, well, first Goku does a Kamehameha. That's um, right. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he stands up from the from being kicked into the statue. Says, "I have a gift for you," and fires a Kamehameha at him. He it gets tanked pretty much like it rips a bunch of Tao's clothes off, but otherwise he's standing there. But Goku definitely Majin Vegeta the stands and the people in them behind Tao. Like people died from that being a hundred percent. They had to have. There's like literally a hole in the background. Yeah. So I don't know. You ever seen those pictures on the internet where it's like the pictures of like Dragon Ball Z characters standing on the pile of bodies that of people that they oh, canonically yeah. killed. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. There should just be a handful of, I mean, I know that these movies aren't canon, but I'm counting these as Goku kills because he definitely <laughs> slew, like slaughtered a bunch of innocents with this particular beam. Tao, on the other hand, does much better. He dodons, uh, he uses the dodon ray on Goku, but he shoots him up and out of the ring uh, and misses uh, innocent bystanders. Ends up shooting Goku all the way to, not only all the way to Korin Tower, but all the way to the top of it. Which um, is or insane. At least yeah, to where Corin is. I think they said it was like 300 miles away um, because somebody comes running up and says, well, there were seven Dragon Balls here, but one of them just flew super fast 300 miles to the east and then had suddenly came to a stop. Uh, so this pisses off Tao because now he knows that Goku is the one who had the ball. Not that he cared that Bora told the truth, but he just now has to travel 300 miles. Um, while this is going on, uh, Shin announces he thinks he's got all seven before this other dude walks over and tells them uh, otherwise. But uh, he, this is where kind of the conspiracy theory begins to unfold. Chaozu's looking at Tien and wondering why he's not doing, like, intervening at all. And Tien is just like, because I, I'm involved in all of this. Shin announces that when they get all seven Dragon Balls, he's going to take over the kingdom, which I feel like is a strange wish. I feel like he's poised, like, as far as manpower alone. Really? Yeah, like to, he already has that? the kingdom. I don't. He doesn't need the Dragon Balls at this point. Yeah, Chaozu goes all emo here, and and he even is like painted up like one a little bit. With yeah. the, he's like a pasty white doll. He says uh, like, like Tien, you know, you're you're in on this. Yeah, I don't even have one true friend. I don't even have one true friend. Yeah, <laughs> Corin uh, is this cat um, who is a sage uh, that is a you know off and on again uh, member of the Dragon Ball. Uh, canon and and uh, makes appearances in pretty much all of the series. I think he's in. Is he in Super? You know, I don't know. Yeah, he's in Super because we've seen Yajirobe in Super. Okay. Oh God, Yajirobe. We can't wait to meet him. Um, <laughs> Corin knows what the Dragon Balls are, but doesn't understand why anyone would want them, which I think is strange. Um, he also has the ability to read minds. He senses that Goku is pure. Hands him a sensu bean. This is the first appearance of those. I think that happens a, maybe a slightly different time in the anime, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, I No, I don't think it's the Corrin Tower. I'm pretty sure that he gets them right here. Because okay. this is, in, in the anime, though, instead of being shot up there, he climbs 
to the top of Corrin Tower. And it's also a little bit different because he can't use the Nimbus Cloud at all to get up there. It's way too high up. But here shortly, he summons the Nimbus Cloud. So, hey, you yeah, know. I think it takes him three days to climb it in Dragon Ball. Yeah, it takes forever. And he's up there for a while, like several weeks. Yeah, and, and the Dragon Ball isn't on him in the anime. It's like Corrin has it, but he doesn't realize what it is. And so he goes to, like, toss it out with some trash over the side of the tower. Am I remembering this right? That sounds like, kind of familiar, I think. Goku like has to go and retrieve it and then climb back up, but the second climb only takes him three hours instead of three days. Right. And it's proof of like his... It's, I think they end up calling this like a Zenkai boost. Essentially, this is kind of his first major one. Tao, on the other hand, to get to Korin Tower, just chops down a pillar from uh, Chaozu's temple, monastery, slash you know uh, giant palace and throws it jumps on it and rides it uh in several dragon ball z uh, video games you can have a little like basically like a mount or a vehicle that is uh like a pillar and you can <laughs> ride awesome. around on it like a tau pai pai it is pretty cool this is kind of how thor flies in the marvel universe back in the day he would throw his hammer and then he had either he was holding on to it or he had it around his wrist so it would drag him yeah Bulma gets her hands on all of the Dragon Balls, uh, well, minus the one that Goku has on him, sets off all these alarms. Metalatron, as big as he is, somehow manages to sneak on this scene. All hell breaks loose where the tournament was. Everybody's fighting, including Roshi, who straight up Skywalker's Metalatron, like chops off his right hand. Mm-hmm. Um, Goku and Korin are back over this tower. There's a lot of bat- like back and forth in this movie, if you can't tell. Um, <laughs> uh, and But there's this really cool scene. It's one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie where uh goku and Korin are peering into this water jar goku asks for the ball Korin tosses it into one of these giant clay pots full of water uh and he says you know listen when you fought with this with this man earlier you were you were mad you were angry and that's why you lost he says if you agitate the surface of this water then you can't see things clearly but if you let it come to a rest then you can um and in my notes i just wrote well this is just star wars now um (laughs) and it's also very close to what we end up giving uh as far as advice is concerned to uh vegeta and goku and super um goku you know now bestowed with this new wisdom for how to approach fights uh flies off but then immediately has to turn back around because he forgot the dragon ball so you get another really good like single frame fall down gag here which i I always love. Well, and what I really like about this, too, is the way they adapted it, because in the original manga and the anime, he has to fight off Korin to be able to get to that water and drink it. And if he can yeah. drink from the water, he gets the big power up. That's the whole point of, like, I think Roshi trained there, and he fought Korin, got the power up. So that's what is supposed to give him the power to defeat Tao originally. In this, it was just a way for Korin to kind of teach him a le- uh, life lesson, which I thought is, is pretty neat. Um, well, in that sacred water or whatever that Goku ended up getting, it's revealed was just literally just, just water. water. There's no magical power to it whatsoever. Yeah. It's the it's the training, you know, the the exertion of of trying to catch Corin. Uh that uh that is the 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 strength. Right. So you know, the whatever bestows the strength. Right. So Tao is flying on his pole and all of a sudden like he sees Goku, he they, like they're about to pass each other and then this purple-haired little girl throws this massive boulder, knocking him off. Uh, and I did a little bit of research on her. Her name is Arale, and she is basically... Arale. sorry. Her name is Arale, and uh, her whole backstory is that she's an android that this doctor created in a previous series from Akira Toriyama named Dr. Slump, 
And the idea was that she was going to be passed off to the local village or the local town as just a normal girl. Think kind of like Data from Star Trek Next Generation, if you know anything about Star Trek. Um, so she is super strong, very powerful, and apparently this is kind of like a common day-to-day thing where she like saves the town and they just think she's a normal little girl, which I think is funny. Yeah, and she's like insanely strong. She crosses over into Z and Super, super yeah. in a couple places. And like when she's in Super, which is just the one outside of this movie I've seen most recently, she just completely bodies Vegeta. Like it's not even trying and just is wrecking Vegeta left and right. Uh, so she's just incredibly strong. She does snipe Tao out of the sky off of his little pillar with a boulder. So now there are three things falling down to earth with the potential to kill people, a boulder, a pillar, and also Tao. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tao ends up like head first into the, into the ground. I refer to that as being planted, uh, but we, we don't catch up to them yet. We have this other really quick scene back at the castle where there's a firefight launches involved, of course, because there are guns. Everybody continues to be terrible shots, uh, but she fires at Shen and he catches all the bullets like really quickly with his hands, um, which is reminiscent of Raditz doing a similar thing at the very beginning of Dragon Ball Z in the first episode. Um, and then also Gohan does that later on uh, when he's he's not say a man at the time, but it's during that era. He was like on his way to high school and caught a bunch of bullets during a bank robbery or some such. But uh, Shin tries to use the Dodon Ray on Bulma, but Yamcha saves her. They both fall into this giant lake outside of the palace and the Dragon Balls topple out of Bulma's book bag and fall down into this giant chasm. Um, Krillin and Metalotron come to blows. Uh, Metalotron ends up grabbing Upa, basically holding him as a hostage for the majority of the rest of the movie. Tien one-shots Roshi, like jumps over him and puts a knee to the back of Roshi's head and basically explains that he's alive. But in the English, he says he's alive, but he's going to be in a coma for a long time. In the Japanese, it's worse. He just says he's never going to regain consciousness now. (laughs) He's like, he's alive, but he's a vegetable now. Yeah, and... Shin then tells Tien, well, now's the time to go ahead and kill Chaozu, the emperor. And in the English, at least, Tien makes it sound like one of the uh, caveats or uh, conditions for him being a part of this coup was that Chaozu would be left alone. And so yeah. in, in his defense, he's, he, it does seem that he was working under that condition in the terms of changed. What I don't get, though, is like all of Chaozu's guards have totally turned coat and they're working for Shin and he tells Tien like hey this is just a precaution until we have all seven balls Yeah, but it makes no sense he's totally in power the only thing I can think is that he wants to wish that the people are just okay with him being in power but it seems like they didn't really have a choice anyways so I don't know why he cares right Um, right he's got all of the might he needs to just flex on folks and be the power yeah. that he wants he's he's about to waste a wish it's like the biggest weirdest MacGuffin ever of all time but that's okay I loved this movie uh, so we transition back over to the uh, purple-haired girl, Arale, who is with what I labeled Thing 1 and Thing 2, and they're, like, poking General Tao. He jumps out of the ground, and he's talking to this little girl, and he's like, I would totally squash you if you weren't a child, as he's totally about to try and kill Goku, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, so <laughs> we... Yeah, irony. Yeah, Goku pops down and he's like, how did you survive this? And it turns out that the Dragon Ball actually blocked the Dodon Ray, which I kind of didn't like. Goku's strong enough, I feel like, at this point to have just survived it. I mean, if Tao can survive the Kamehameha Blast, it feels like Goku could have survived the Dodon Ray. But I do like the idea that that was why it kicked him back 300 miles. Like, I can see it just being like, oh, well, the Dragon Ball 
absorbed or propelled him that far, you know. Well, in the um, anime, it's the same thing. Like he has the Dragon Ball in his in that over his heart mm-hmm. when he gets the first Dodon. So I think that's uh, obviously why they why would they do it, it here. Yeah. Now, Goku's what happens to Goku's body in the anime versus this movie is radically different because he just kind of gets blasted back a few yards and then is lying there on the same scene, not 300 miles away. But <laughs> you got to do what you got to do to make this movie make sense. Sure. And I mean, I liked it. It worked. It worked. Uh, well, whenever Grant, not Grand Torino, <laughs> I use GT for General Tao, but I normally use GT for Grand Torino in my mind. Yeah, I do notes. too. <laughs> Well, whenever General Tao goes to attack Goku, he tries to start this fight. He actually isn't able to. He, like, gets whipped back by this rope that's tied to the end of his ponytail that's tied to a tree. And Arale and Thing 1 and Thing 2 start poking fun at him. And, I mean, it just it gets a little silly. But he's able to get, get away from that, and they actually do start fighting. And it's a pretty cool fight real quick. It's, it's short, but I thought it was an awesome little fight. Yeah, it's good. Tao's clothes are back. Like, I don't remember how he... just gets how dressed he... somehow, yeah. Yeah, it's he like... just shows up with some new clothes, but they don't stay on him for very long either. Like, <laughs> they end up all torn up again. It's like Piccolo's ability to just generate clothing. Oh, yeah, the clothing ray. Yeah, that's my that favorite no move one talks about. Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> yeah, well, it, is, it is pretty great. He finally realizes that up against Goku and Arale, he is just no, like, force to be reckoned with at all. Like, he is not going to be able to beat them on a physical battle. So what he decides to do is try to outsmart them. Uh, he tells them, hey, like, hey, I can't defeat you. I'm really sorry. This is really bad. I'm not, you know, trying to hurt you anymore. And he pops out a capsule, and it's got this weird, like, I don't know, hovercraft thing. It's not a motorcycle, but it's like not a, a hover ship. cycle. Yeah. Uh, and he, he says that he is going to uh, leave. He tells Goku, like, hey, you're the best person I've fought in 25 years. And Goku's like, oh, okay, cool. You're going to be a good guy now? And he goes, of course I am. And then he grabs the Dragon Ball and jets off uh, and then shoots a bunch of missiles at the kids. Yeah. So to your point, the, the, the thing that gets him to realize he's outmatched is that Goku does, in fact, stop a Dodon Ray with his bare hands yeah. in the scene. That's what shakes uh, Mercenary Tao's uh, resolve and his, his general pride and, and cockiness and arrogance. It just fizzles out in Goku's hands. And I have in my notes that apparently Tao is allergic to disappointment because in this scene, he just starts having like snot running down his nose. Yeah. And in otherwise, like I, I wrote in my notes, I realized that this is silly now, but I said in an otherwise serious scene, he's got snot running down his nose. But this is the most gag heavy scene in this entire movie because of Arale and the angels. Um, and uh, so he grabs the satchel, goes to fly off. This thing has rear-facing rockets, so he shoots them back. But they get deflected, one by Goku and one by Raleigh, back to Tao, which is similar to the anime. I think it's a grenade in the anime that Tao tosses at Goku. Um, in fact, we'll, we'll be talking about the uh, Raditz scale here shortly, but one of the uh, power level lists that I found online... Uh, was just like Mercenary Tau, and then it had a number next to it, and then it was like a grenade that killed Mercenary Tau, and it just, just had a greater than <laughs> sign, Tau. <laughs> that made me laugh pretty good. That is funny. But we also find out, like, in the show, this it doesn't outright kill Tau. Like, he... I think that the way that it's explained is he spends all of his millions of millions of zenny that he had earned as a mercenary to uh, reconstruct himself as a cyborg. So we do see him later on in the series, but we probably aren't going to see him in any more movies. Yeah, I don't think they bring Robo Tao into any of the movies, but I guess we'll find out. I'd love to see him in a live action film. That'd be pretty cool. 
and you said too that the Doctor Slump, Mister Slump character shows up. Um, it's at the it's at this scene, and he pops up at this at this angle, kind of from the bottom right hand side of your screen, and it just made me think of the toasty guy from Mortal Kombat. And it was like, it's an appropriate thing for him to have done there too, because I mean, Tao did just get blown up. So they could have dropped that little, uh, that little sound of toasty in there. And it would (laughs) have, it would have fit. It would have made me laugh even harder. I gotta say, that's like the one thing I don't like about this movie is the Arale stuff and the Dr. Slump stuff. Cause there are times when she almost feels superimposed over the movie. Because, like, Goku and Tao are talking to each other or interacting, but they don't look or interact with her. She's just there. So it feels weird sometimes. And the fact that, like, everyone else in this movie is totally from something in the show and she's an outside source, I don't know. It just feels weird. It was a crossover that was unnecessary, in my opinion. But Yeah, and it's something that I kind of look past or over because it's something that Toriyama has done over and over and over again in the Dragon Ball franchise. So it's just like, oh, this is one of those times where he's just like, hey, guys, I wrote this other thing, too. Uh, And so like like we said, it's it's happened before. It's going to happen again. Well, we transition back over to Shin, who is demanding the balls no matter what, no matter how deep they are. He's like, you get down there into Mariana Trench and you pull out those Dragon Balls. And then he continues to demand that Tien kill Chaozu. And when Tien goes to actually kill Chaozu, he says his name, and Chaozu's like, oh, wow, we're still friends. You know, like, you're not, you're not really this bad guy. You're not going to kill Single me. Single tear. Yeah, one, and he's crying. That's right, he is crying. And as he's going to kill him, Roshi stops him and is like, look, Tien, martial arts are about protecting the ones you love, not destroying and not killing. And Tien is again ordered to kill Chaozu, and he's about to do it. He sees this little kid crying, and he hesitates. And Shin is kind of egging him on, and he's like, man, you're supposed to be a pro. You better kill Chaozu. And Tien just can't do it. And uh, Shin calls him a pussycat and says that he has a place for him and is about to, like, totally take Tien out. And he does a Dodon Ray, and uh, then he's like, you know, I don't have to get rid of the Emperor. I'll just, or you don't have to get rid of the Emperor. I'll just do it myself. So this Dodon Ray is headed towards Chaozu, but Tien actually steps in front of him and uses a tri-beam and just totally decimates Shin. Totally awesome move. Uh, I For some reason, I forgot that Tien could even do the tri-beam at this point. I didn't think he got that until, like, the Cell Saga. Yeah, and I love the tri-beam, too. I think that its its mechanic makes this scene even even better. Oh, yeah. It, it gives it a little bit more of an emotional uh, punch because it literally drains some of his life force when he uses it. And so he goes from threatening the life of Chaozu to surrendering some of his life to save or, or to preserve Chaozu. Um, so there's a little bit of romance, not like weird romance, but it, it is a romantic gesture uh, in the sense that it, it is it is charged with emotion here. Absolutely. He's willing to lay uh, so down his life cool. a little bit for his new friend, his new little buddy. And uh, this obviously causes Major Metallotron to start freaking out. She starts crushing Upa with his hands. And Upa's like literally the size of like a bean in in major metallotron's hands like this android is huge uh but as all of this is playing out goku flies through the middle of him like just takes him out with a headbutt entirely there's this gaping hole in the middle of major metallotron uh and it pretty much like everything's resolved chaotsu fires his guards tien hands over chaotsu's wife who is a doll and i just didn't see that coming at all uh that it, yeah it totally in the japanese in the japanese instead of firing everybody which is the sensible thing to do chaotsu's just like it's okay everybody and they all stay employed <laughs> i guess what 
That's yeah. nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. I like the English version way better for that particular uh, comedic. Yeah, because he just turns just around. Like, everyone here is fired. Yeah, he's like, everyone, <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, but then he forgives Tien. He says that he never lost faith in his friend, which I thought was very touching and and kind of, I don't know. I guess it was nice, but like Tien was totally about to kill this kid. So yeah, but I think that that frames Tien with this kind of penance that I I appreciate. Yeah, that like you know, it's it's always like if you jump on with Z like I did, and you don't have some of this background information, it's just like why in the world are Tien and Chaozu such good friends? It's a, it's a weird pairing. But that's not even um, really how it works in the anime. I mean, they just trained yeah. under Shin together, so right. But I think that I like I said. As far as this movie is concerned, I like that that angle a lot. Yes. That it's just like, listen, he's he's my boy because I, I owe him because of what I once tried to do to him. I, I like that as an angle, even if it isn't the canonical one. I still appreciate it for what it is in the movie. I dig it. I, I do. I, I will say that I wish that we had gotten maybe like two or three more scenes of him guarding Chaozu and Chaozu teaching him more about himself or something. Like giving him more of a reason to save him. If, if Tian really is just this, you know, merciless mercenary uh like Tal is then it seems like it shouldn't have been a problem but I wanted to see more of why he kind of like fell in love with this little kid and became friends with them you know what I mean yeah other well, than they, the one nightmare <laughs> right they uh decide together uh to use the Dragon Balls to revive Bora and Goku actually is smart he uses his brain meats here and then uh, you know they they still have the trouble of the fact that six of the Dragon Balls are at the bottom of this deep trench which just happened to be dragon-shaped, too, we find out. Um, but uh, Goku's just like, it's okay, we don't have to go and get them. We'll just throw this one down there. Um, and I was like, oh, look at him. He's, he's like, got a smart for a second. And uh, so they toss it down there. Shinron is awoken, uh, and the credits begin to roll. But one of my favorite things about this is the, the, the wish that Upa makes, of course, is just, I wish my dad was alive. And I was like, this would have been a terrible time to find out that uh, Boro was not, in fact, the father. Like, if they, if he got Mori Povich right here, like Shenron is just like, your wish has been granted. And then Bora is still in this, like, laying down dead with a giant hole in his chest. And Upa's like, but, but wait a minute. That's messed up. I like that. I guess it's no more dark. Or it's not darker than, you know, the four star killing his mom, but I like it. No. That's fun. Yeah. Well, the movie, that's great. movie ends with Goku flying off on the Nimbus, kind of like the first movie. Again. Yep. It was a fun movie. Let's go over. Oh, man. I'll tell you, I really enjoyed this movie. As silly as it is, it is it is really well put together. And if you can divorce it from the canon, which you pretty much need to be doing with all things Dragon Ball Z movie related, then it it holds up surprisingly well. I I would watch this one hands over fist a dozen times before I would rewatch either of the first ones. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Uh, so let's go ahead and give it a rating, man. What do you think? Out of seven stars. Well, that's what we're doing, right? Seven stars? Yeah, so seven stars. Um, we can okay, we can grant uh, half stars if we want to, apparently, which is fine. I, uh, I'm on the fence, man. Like, six seems so high. Oh, yeah. Um, it's not a six. But, you know, five is not really a passing grade, though. You know, five sure out of seven is. is only... I mean, it's a passing grade. It's 70, but... Uh yeah, I it's a it's a it's a five or a five point five. I mean, it is maybe twice as good as either of the other ones. Certainly twice as good as uh the English version of uh Sleeping Princess and Devil's Castle. I agree. Yeah, no, for sure. This one's a five to me. 
it's not my favorite Dragon Ball franchise movie, but it is my favorite Dragon Ball movie. If, if like, oh, out yeah. of the four, this one is the best one, hands down. Uh, no oh, question. See, asked. I haven't seen Path to Power, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I don't know where that one will rank. But this one is. It's legitimately a good. It's it's a it's good great movie. Yeah, and, and if you don't really know a lot about some of the main characters from Dragon Ball Z, like Tien and like Chaozu. It's kind of worth watching just to see where they came from from this perspective. I mean, in the movies, this isn't their background. So, like, if you watch a Dragon Ball Z movie, don't expect Chaozu to be an emperor. But, right. uh, you know, I think it's Do fun. Do expect him to be a creepy doll-looking human child, though. Yes. And I, that is accurate. to not really know how old he is, I mean, he's got to be in his 20s, at least. Because whenever he shows up in Dragon Ball, he seems like a kid. And then when they re-meet in Dragon Ball Z, <laughs> that's, that's about 10, 15 years later... He still looks like the same age, so he's yeah, got to be it's at, five years. Z picks up five years after the end of Dragon Ball. I want to yeah, say, yeah, but the end of Dragon Ball is like five or six years after the this tournament that takes place. After the Tien Shinhan mm-hmm. saga, well, after the Piccolo called. saga, because the Piccolo oh, saga gotcha. takes shortly a little bit after this. Um, but then there's like a final episode, a final couple of episodes where Goku is the adult Goku that we know, and there's this whole yeah. thing they've got to go and do with where they meet his grandfather again. And Z takes place, I believe, five years after that. Gotcha. Well, let's talk about some of our other segments. We have Holler Minutes. This movie almost had none. I mean, I I watched it with my little stopwatch, and I came up with a Holler Minute total of 0.27 Holler Minutes. So not even, just barely over 15 seconds worth wow. of offensive hollering. So when you say which that... seems so strange. That's just when they're, like, fighting and hollering, right? So, like, if someone's being attacked or if someone's attacking. It's not like when Bulma is falling into anything or... Right. It's not no peril. Peril doesn't count. It has to be aggression and it has to be extra, like extra in the way that the kids use it these days, like where it's just like you don't have to be yelling right now, but you are. Okay. Um, and, and so like and, and I don't count like little punctuated like, uh, you know, little <laughs> like that stuff doesn't really count. Like that's exertion. Exertion is fine. Like that's normal. But for them to just be running at somebody and shouting for no reason, that's what counts. And this movie had just barely over 15. It's like 16.2 seconds or something worth of holler minutes. Gotcha. Well, outside of holler minutes, uh, we also have a couple of trivia items. I've got a few more. I put a lot of them as we were talking, just kind of mentioned them. Uh, One of the ones that I did not mention, though, that I thought was really interesting, whenever the movie actually premiered on the movie poster... Tao is incorrectly drawn, or I guess incorrectly colored. The drawing is pretty much the same, but his outfit is white compared to like the purple outfit that he normally wears. And then they fix it later on in uh, Yamamoro's redraw of the poster for the uh, single DVD box sets, basically. So on the box set that Adkins and I have got, on the front, it's the original poster. On the back, it's the updated version, which I thought was pretty neat. Um, The other thing... Yeah, I like that they included both. Yeah, I did too. I thought that was really cool. Another thing I thought was really interesting is that the Mifon Empire's name is a pun based on the Mandarin reading of rice in kanji, which links to this kind of like Chinese food pun thing that they're doing with Tian Shenhan, Chaozu, and Tao Pai Pai, uh, which, or Pai Pai, which we know is kind of Akira Toriyama's thing. That's one of his deals is he loves renaming people after food, which I thought was pretty neat. I also had um, the the power level stuff that, w- that we usually cover. We call the Raditz scale. And this, again, we, we mentioned this at the end of the last one. Dragon Ball power scale stuff is 
hard to nail down. People continue to fight about it on the internet to this day. Like if you if you really are wanting to argue with whatever number we decide to use against Raditz's number or even Raditz's number, I found people arguing, is it 1500? Is it 1200? We're sticking with 1500 because whatever, it's fine. Um, but for Tao, he's all over the board, man. Um, I found a bunch of published uh, numbers for him that ranged anywhere from 144 up to 210. Actually, actually all the way up to 200 million. What? Um, 200 yeah, because, million? Yeah, so in a special mission in some video game um, called Dragon Ball Z Scouter Battle Taikan Kamehameha Oratoome to Scouter. Holy cow. Mercenary Tao's power level is 200, <laughs> 200 million. I can't believe how well you just said that game's name. That was incredible. Uh, yeah. I'm sure somebody's going to leave us a one-star review because I mispronounced some word in it, but it's fine. Um so Tao, I I mean, I think that around this time in Dragon Ball, some official publications have Goku floating somewhere around 180. Um, and I feel like Tao's got to be somewhere in that proximity. Yeah, they, I there's agree. a there, there's an official publication for um, for his number as Cyborg Tao, which is 210. So I think that it's fair to say he was weaker as not Cyborg Tao. Um, so if you go with 180-ish, um, then you're looking at about 0.12 on the Raditz scale. So still not quite, um, you know, 25% of a Raditz. We're still not there yet. But I think that the next movie is going to start. We're going to start seeing some fun numbers. I got to ask you, do you think that 10 General Tows could beat Raditz? Because I do. I think that would overpower Raditz. You know... Tao is an interesting character, so I'm pretty sure he's the first, like in the anime anyway, he's the first villain that also can do the beams, and he's the first villain against which uh, Goku fights that moves so fast that he's hard to see. Um, and so, yeah, like he's he's not a chump. No, like, not at all. Uh, and, and, and like there's something to appreciate about that. Well, and it- ten, of, ten of him against... Raditz would be interesting, at least. I think, too, he's such a, like, seasoned, you know, fighter that he would pick up on Raditz's weaknesses, like his tail, really quickly. And if there's 10 of them, I mean, I think he could easily take down Raditz. I would put it this way, 10 of him could easily take down Goku, I, I feel like, at the beginning of Dragon Ball Z. Oh. Hands down. Yeah, it wouldn't take 10 of them no. to do that. So, I, and he, I think... And he would absolutely wipe the floor with Guramez and with uh, Count Lucifer. I agree. By, I mean, by... He would destroy both of them without even really trying. For sure, for sure. So, yeah, I definitely think 10 General Tals, Raditz is off the board. Now, I think gen- 10 General Tals versus, like, Vegeta, no way. Vegeta takes him out easily. But uh, I love the Raditz scale. It's a fun thing to talk about. Yeah, we're going to start seeing some uh, some whole numbers here soon, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, I definitely think so, especially in this next Dragon Ball Z movie. We're, we're going to get close, I- I'm willing to bet. Well, we are going to be transitioning again behind the Patreon wall. But if you're joining us in that general direction here soon, the next movie that we're going to be covering is Dragon Ball Z colon Dead Zone, which released about a year, almost to the day, uh, after uh, Mystical Adventure did. Oh, wow, did it really? That's really cool. Well, I will be announcing the winner of our popcorn maker very shortly, so stay tuned for that. Otherwise, everybody have a good week. See you guys. (laughs) 